There was a time in my life uh, when, when my mind was sharp as a steel trap. And I don't want to like sound like I'm bragging or anything, but this isn't recent, believe me. There was a time in my life when, when I would hear something and I thought, locked, got it. Like, like I had it. Locked and loaded right here. You tell me somebody's address, I'd remember it, I'd tell it to you. If you, if you needed to know your address or somebody's address, I had it, like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I got it. <laughs> Just as an example. That's, that's not a, anybody's address here, obviously. <laughs> if it was a phone number, uh, like I had it. 8675309. <laughs> I knew about 12 of you might think that's funny. It was up here, locked and loaded. Now it seems like almost daily. Now it seems like just about every day when I'm in a situation, and uh, I'm not exaggerating about this, almost daily I'm in a situation where I think my memory has just absolutely failed me. And not just like in some piddly way, but in a serious way where it's clear, it's clear that like I just forgot. <laughs> it's not like I'm sitting there going, oh, it's like I'm forgetting. I didn't remember. I'll begin talking to somebody, and this happens about once, maybe twice a week nowadays. I'm talking to somebody, and we're communicating, and, and, I, and I say something to them, and I start talking, and as I do a few seconds into it, they start to get this sort of glazed look, and, and a little bit more, and I'll go, oh, have we talked about this? <laughs> and they'll go, yeah, last week. You ever, you ever had your spouse Maybe you had your spouse uh, with you and you're like, hey, where's my, where's my hat? Where are my sunglasses? And they're sitting there like five feet away going, hello, on your head. It's happened to me a few times with a hat. Um, I've had, had the kind of thing the other day, just the other day, where I was leaving the house in the morning. And so I, I went downstairs in the basement to go to the garage to get into the minivan, because that's how I roll, uh, to get in the minivan and go. And I thought, well, I don't have my keys, so I started to look around, and I thought I might have them in the van, didn't have them there. I thought I might have them in the, in the TV room there down below in the basement. They weren't there. So I, so I walked upstairs, started looking around, not in the kitchen, looked in my uh, bedroom at the dresser where they normally are, and they weren't there. And so I thought, well, goodness sakes, I'm, so I'm going to start texting my wife, do you know where my keys are? And uh, as I did that, I thought, oh, yeah, they're right here. I wish I'm making that up. I wish I were making that up. <clears throat> I'm beginning to understand a little bit why sometimes the old folks say, listen, son, <laughs> I have forgotten more than you have ever known. Why is that for us? Why do we forget things? Is it age? Is it laziness? I mean, what determines what we remember and what we forget? Is it distraction? Is it a lack of focus? What's the difference between the things that we remember and the things that we forget? In looking around for some answers, I, I found something interesting. Researchers of human nature, psychology researchers, have found that there's at least a pretty simple explanation uh, for why we forget some things and why we remember others. Turns out, that bad in our life has more memory power, in a sense, than good. Which, which at first doesn't make sense. It's not really intuitive to us. turns out that bad has more memory power for us than good. We keenly remember the bad things and we tend to forget 
the good things. Here's what uh, the abstract of one study said. And this is, this is insightful. The greater power of bad events over good ones is found in everyday events, major life events, trauma, close relationships, social networking pa- uh, patterns, uh, inter, interwork and interpersonal social interactions, uh, even in our learning processes. They say this, bad emotions, bad parents, bad feedback, all have more impact on us in a sense than the good ones. And bad information, this is interesting, is processed more thoroughly than good information. Listen to this. The self is more motivated to avoid, to avoid bad self-definitions than to pursue good ones. It's super easy to remember the bad things. It's super easy to remember something that has happened to you that you didn't have a good experience with. Bad service, bad food, bad hair day, bad preaching. I mean, it's easy, really, it's easy to remember the bad things. But the good things take some effort. The good things takes some effort. That's why Paul, here in this passage, in this whole book really, is continuing to hammer his protege, his underling Timothy, in this letter. He continues to say throughout this letter up to this point especially, remember, remember, remind yourself, remind those who come after you, those who are under you in your ministry, remind them of the things that have led you to where you are, that led them to where they are. Remember how you have this precious gift of faith and where it came from. Remembering Remembering good things. Remembering good things is for the Christian, for the believer, remembering God things. And that's something that takes practice, that takes work, that takes effort. You have to exercise yourself. You have to exercise your mind. You have to discipline yourself for that because it doesn't come naturally. It's just, let's just be frank. It doesn't come naturally. That's why the spiritual life is discipline. That's why spiritual growth is not just this bowl of cherries. It's easy. God forms and shapes and chips away. He's like, he's like an architect with a hammer and a chisel for our lives. Remembering is essential for the follower of Christ, Paul says. It's essential to have hearts and to have minds that are shaped by God's goodness. Hear that. It is essential to have hearts and minds that are shaped by the character and nature of God, that we are shaped by God's goodness, shaped by the memory, a mindset of God's goodness to us. So it's an essential part of our spiritual growth. In fact, those who remember, those who remember what God has done for them will be those most likely to live out the gospel for the glory of God. Those who remember the good that God has done will be those who most fruitfully live out the good news of the gospel for the glory of God. This isn't new. This isn't new. Paul is drawing from a long tradition in the Scriptures. And we'll jump into 2 Timothy here in a second. But I want to tell you a little bit about the Old Testament and remembering the good things God has done. Take the Passover. Take the Passover. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, as a way to remember... What God had done to free his people from oppression in Egypt, God instituted a yearly memorial, a yearly celebration called the Passover, where they remembered the work of God to free them. Now, think of this celebration, this Passover celebration. It happened every year 
And think of maybe, for example, 200 years after the Passover had happened, 200 years after the Exodus. Imagine a kid, a young kid, participating in the celebration. Imagine that kid sort of wondering, what in the world is all this stuff about that we are celebrating, that we are remembering? May not have a context for it, and so God accounts for that. Parents account for that. Those who are disciple makers account for that. Hear me. Those who are disciple makers account for that. And so God even instructs parents for this very thing. Look at this. Exodus 12, 26 to 7. We're not going to show it up there, but you may want to write that down. Exodus 12, 26 to 7 is a cool place where it says this. When your children say to you, this is God instructing parents. When your children say to you, what do you, what do you mean by this service? What's going on in this celebration? You shall say to them, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. Think of a parent telling their child about this. The Lord passed over the houses of the people of Israel when he struck the Egyptians, but listen, he spared our houses. How cool is that? Parent teaching their kid. Don't forget. Remember what God has done. God wants to make sure his people would not forget the good things God has done for them. How about the Ten Commandments? As another example. Just a little later, when God had given his people the Ten Commandments, a little later, he wanted to make sure that his people didn't forget the laws that he had just told them about. So he instructed his parents, the parents of of Israel there, Deuteronomy 6, a really cool passage. You're going to look that up. You need to know what Deuteronomy 6, 7 and following says. If you're a parent and you care about guarding the good deposit, you care about fanning the flame in the lives of your children, you care about passing on the baton, Deuteronomy 6, 7 and following. God says to the parents, he says, impress them, impress the Ten Commandments, impress the law on your children. And then Moses Later on in that same uh, chapter, instructs the parents again, verses 20 to 23, he says this, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, "We we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And then the Lord, this is a parent talking to their kid, then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household right before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us into the promised land. The land he swore to give to our fathers. Don't forget the good things God has done. Crossing the Jordan into the promised land to remind the people that God had led them, that God had done this, that the good, that their being in the promised land and crossing the Jordan, that good thing they had came from God was something that they had to be reminded about. So God instructs the priests of Israel to take 12 stones, 12 stones from the Jordan, 12 stones that represent all the the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God, 12 stones from the Jordan and put them into a pile as a memorial, a a memory place. And then he says this in Joshua 4. When your children ask in time to come, what, what do those stones mean? 
to you. Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever, a place to remember, a a symbol of the good things God has done. Do not forget the good things God has done. So Paul is drawing from that tradition of of memory, of reminding, of, of not forgetting. In the second letter of Timothy, he's already said it a bunch of times. In one three, Timothy says, Don't forget the faith of your your, your forefathers. In one four, he says, Don't forget our deep friendship. In one five, he says, Don't forget, Timothy, your own rich spiritual heritage. In one six and seven, don't forget how God called you and God called me to this ministry. Don't forget the pattern of my life and the sound teaching. One thirteen. Remember, remember. Remember. And so here in verse 8, in chapter 2, we take our cue for all of today from this first word. Remember. Look at 2 Timothy 2 here. 2 Timothy 2 says, Remember Jesus Christ. We take our cue for this whole day, the focus from this first word. This is a command to Timothy, a directive that doesn't just mean don't forget. Don't don't, don't get stuck there. Remember doesn't just mean don't forget. Remember means something like this. Exercise the mind so that you don't have to forget. Exercise, discipline, work, focus, train the mind so that you cannot forget. Look at that there. It says, remember Jesus Christ. And we're talking here in this section about remembering the gospel. We'll talk about the power of the gospel later on. But it says, remember Jesus Christ. That word remember there is the same as the word that we use for mnemonic. A mnemonic device. M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C. Mnemonic. It's the kinds of things that we were taught maybe in school to remember certain things, certain patterns. The colors of the rainbow. Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. It's a mnemonic device. In music, the treble clef, every good boy does fine. Or the modern version that we didn't have when I was learning piano, every good boy deserves fudge, which I wish we had had. I would have remembered that a little better. If you want to know the order of the Great Lakes from east to west, super man helps every one. Superior. Michigan, Huron, Erie, Ontario. The planets in order. Anybody know that one? The planets in order. A mnemonic device for that one? My kids know it. My very excellent mother just served us nine pizzas. Uh, actually, there's also a modern version I found out that accounts for the fact that uh, Pluto is no longer a planet, planet. It says, my very educated mother said, uh-oh, no Pluto. These are just examples that train, that exercise the mind to not forget something. Once you've, once you've got that mnemonic, once you've got it, it's, it's locked in. You remember it. The word remember here in 2.8 is fundamental. It means to exercise the memory, to focus on, to think about, to think about Jesus Christ. Three words. It's the gospel. I know 
We could talk about the gospel and what it means and the theological underpinnings of it all day long and begin to touch it. But three words. Remember Jesus Christ. Focus the mind. Exercise the mind. Do not forget. Be disciplined about Jesus Christ. Be disciplined about who He is and what He's done. There's one place in 2 Timothy where Paul does not use the phrase Christ Jesus. This is it. He says Jesus Christ. And he he does it on purpose because he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Who he is and what he's done. Remember Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. Because he's the, the one who was promised. The anointed one. The Messiah. That's who he is. God in the flesh. Remember that, who he is and what he's done. As Christ, he lived for us. He died for us. He he was buried in the tomb and, and resurrected, raised to new life. Remember Jesus Christ. Exercise the mind about who he is and what he's done. That's the gospel. And, and, and Paul is saying to Timothy, no matter, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, if your ministry is not about remember Jesus Christ then it will not be effective for the calling to which God has you, for the calling to which God is pointing you, for the ministry that he's given you based on who you are and what your resources are and what your giftedness is. Remember that, Timothy. For any and all who follow in the footsteps of those who went before, who care about making disciples as Jesus called us to, they will remember Jesus Christ. Discipline the mind. Focus it. Think about it. Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, of everything, you have to focus on that. You have to remember this. No matter what else comes your way, you've got to remember the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 is a parallel sort of passage to this in some ways. It's a, it's a way to encapsulate the gospel uh, in, in a few verses there. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. If you don't know this passage, write it down, read it. It's sort of what Paul is saying here uh, to 2 Timothy. He says, now I would remind you Brothers, he's writing to the church at Corinth. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. And he says this, The gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And he says this in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We could stand up here all day long. We could talk about thing after thing after thing that involves the Christian life that is not about the main things. We could do that all day long and enjoy it and have fun. But if this first order thing does not determine your life and ministry, Paul's saying, if you don't remember Jesus Christ, it's not going to be as fruitful, as meaningful, as joyful as God intends for it to be for you. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15.3, and this is cool because it's another example of the faith being uh, given to those who come after. He says, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. I'm blessing you like I was blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. I'm feeding you like I am being fed and have been fed. You're here fed to go feed. Now listen, if you're, if you're not here to just be fed and feed, then you're here just to be fed then you're you're missing out on half of the Christian life. Maybe even more. If it's not blessed to be a blessing, 
fed to be feeding, then it is us hoarding the good news of God come to save us for ourselves in ways that really, you know what? It's about selfishness. It's about me. Yes, God loves you. He came to save you. He gives you mercy. He gives you grace so that you could know him, but not so that you could sit there and just enjoy it by yourself. It's like being a chef. It's like being a chef. Follow me. If I have an amazing gift, if I have lots of resources, if I have this huge pantry of everything I could possibly imagine to make the best things you've ever tasted in your whole life, and yet I sit here like this going, man, that's a good cherry pie. Love that cherry pie. So good. And I don't give you any. What's the point of making a cherry pie? I mean, yes, I I get it. It tastes good. I enjoy it. But what's the point of even telling you it tastes good? If I'm just going to sit here and enjoy my cherry pie to myself, who cares, in a sense, really, who cares how good it tastes? Not any of you. Just me. Man, it tastes good. So good. But if I have this huge pantry, and I have resources, I have gifts, I have knowledge, I have ability, I have skills, I have the tools to make amazing food, and I give it to you, as a gift, if I let you share in the joy of that, then my joy is tons better. Your joy is tons better. You get to enjoy the giftedness of me giving you something that is really God giving you something. This is disciple making. If you're not fed to be a feeder, if you're not blessed to be a blessing, if you're not a chef to cook for others, then you're just sitting here by yourself going, that first order importance of delivering to you what I received, not of first order importance. No, it's just not. Now listen, I, I know, I get it. I experienced myself. That as you walk out these doors, all of these distractions, all these responsibilities, all these things you have to do with your life will come rushing in in a way that, that can just responsibilities and weight of what goes on in normal everyday life can be crushing, can be demanding. It's be hard to live up to. I, I get it. Believe me, I get it. But if we're remembering Jesus Christ, if we're disciplined about what he's called us to do, if we've exercised a mind about the gospel, then all of those things that are responsibilities will follow from that in ways that God can use for his glory. Now, now here's what I mean. You, every day of your life, if we, if we took a, an inventory of the things that we do every day of our life, that we just take for granted that our responsibilities are things to do, we could have a list that's dozens and dozens and dozens of things long. I'm just going to list about 10 here in a second, and we're just, we're just scratching the surface. You remember to get up in the morning. Sounds silly, but you remember because you've trained yourself. In fact, some of you who have little kids who get up at like 4.30 are like, I am so trained, I don't even have to wait for the alarm. You remember to get up, you remember to let out the dog, you remember to shower, you remember to dress, you remember to do your hair, to get up the kids, to eat breakfast, to brush and floss your teeth, to listen to WGRV, to get the kids to school, to do the laundry, to pay the bills, to call your mom, to get home, to get the dinner ready. I get it. There's a lot to do. But the reason you take those things for granted is because you've worked them, you've practiced them, you've exercised, you've disciplined yourself to be able to take them almost for granted. They are so much in who you are. Paul is saying, don't 
forget this one thing. In the midst of everything else, in the midst of everything else, this one thing has to be remembered. As you go about your day, don't forget. Work hard to remember. Exercise your mind and heart to remember the gospel of Jesus. Let me say it a little bit differently. Think about it this way. If you had worship like we're having right now, like we sang, like we pray, like we're preaching, we're in the Word, if you had this kind of worship every day of your life, would it affect how you go about your day? Absolutely. If we met here every morning and you left this place and then you went to go do what you have to do, you would, you would be unleashed every day like, I have a mindset about this. That's what the gospel does Monday through Saturday when you've remembered Jesus Christ, when you've exercised, when you've trained yourself and disciplined yourself to be about the gospel of Jesus. So what that means as you're going about your day, and by the way, the Great Commission, go is going. As you're going about your day, doing what you do, having the responsibilities, picking up the kids, being at work, if you're remembering Jesus Christ, if the gospel is central in your heart and in your mind, then God will use you. God will use you to participate in the best thing that's ever happened on the planet, which is his glory being made known so that lives can be transformed and people can be with him forever. Remember the gospel. And then he says in the next few verses here, he says, remember the power of the gospel. In comparison to that uh, verse that we have just seen in verse 8, we're going to fly through these verses here. Remember the gospel's power. Look at this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Verse 9, then he says this, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And he says this, But the word of God, the word of God is not bound. And so he says, Because the word of God works, because the power of the gospel does what it's meant to do, I will, verse 10, I will endure everything He's just talked about being in chains. He's probably in a Roman prison where there's a little hole like this. It's underground. It's dark. It's, it's nasty. He's in that prison bound with chains. And then he says, verse 10, but I will endure everything for the sake of those who might know, for those who are called the sake of the elect, that they also, in addition to me, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I, I've said it pretty much every week. I'm going to say it till we're blue in the face throughout 2 Timothy. You'll probably get sick of me hearing, hearing me say this. This life is about making disciples. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Notice where the power here of the gospel comes from. The power of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming doesn't just come from Paul's physical presence. I mean, he's in a, he's in a prison. He's not there with Timothy. He's not there with those that he's leading. And so the message gets to them and it has power. It doesn't come from his physical presence. It doesn't come from his stellar leadership qualities. It doesn't come from his past accomplishments. It comes in power despite his own weakness of position. He's in chains, enduring for those who will hear about Christ. But here's the cool thing. Not even prison. Not even prison. And he uses that as an example to say, listen, at its most extreme, not even prison being bound in chains, my physical presence not even being there, not even prison can stop the power of the gospel because it is the truth of the message of the gospel that does the work. 
It's the truth of the message of the gospel, the content of the gospel that does the work. The content of the gospel is lived in deed. It's spoken in word. But the power of word and deed, that's our third C, communicate the gospel in in word and deed. The power of that word and that deed, the way we speak, the way we behave, the power of that in both those ways is the content of the gospel. And Paul says, I'm in chains, but you cannot stop the power of the gospel. I'm going to close with an illustration of this power. It was the 1930s in Russia, and Stalin had ordered uh, a purge of all the Bibles and all the believers. And there was one particular city called Stavropol, and this city, that order to purge the Bibles and all the believers was, was carried out with a particular vengeance. Thousands of Bibles were confiscated. Multitudes of believers were sent to the gulags where many died for being what they called enemies of the state. Well, soon after the fall of communism, believers from all over the world began to flood that country as they were able. Missions organizations and missionaries. And one of them called Commission. Commission sent a team to that city. They didn't really know much about the history of that city. And when they, when they arrived there, they experienced difficulty in getting the Bibles where they had them in Moscow to the city. And so someone mentioned uh, that on the outskirts of the city, there was a, 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 a warehouse outside of town where there were Bibles that were stored during Stalin's day. So they prayed, they got together, and one of the members got the courage to uh, go to the warehouse and to ask the local officials if the Bibles were still there, and they were. Then they asked again if the Bibles could be removed from that warehouse and distributed to the people in that city, and they said yes. (laughs) Two things right there that are the work of God in hearts. So they got a truck, and uh, several uh, locals, Russians, uh, many of whom were not even believers, helped load the Bibles uh, because they were paying uh, for some of that help. Well, one of the helpers that day to distribute the Bibles was a Russian college student, not a believer. He had come just because he needed a day's wages. They were loading these Bibles, and uh, the young man, after a while they noticed, had disappeared. And when they went to look for him, they found him in the the corner of this warehouse by himself, uh, sitting on the floor, just weeping, just weeping. He had slipped away, uh, hoping to just kind of quietly take a Bible by himself in the corner. And what he found when he opened the Bible uh, shook him. Because on the inside page of the Bible he picked up was the handwritten signature of his own grandmother. This Bible he had stolen was his grandmother's personal Bible. He had stolen the very Bible that had belonged to his faithful grandmother. The one who had come before, she had no idea of the effect of her life on this grandson in this regard. No earthly idea how her own faith would be used to fan the flame. And and years later, her grandson finds this Bible, her very Bible, and a woman who was persecuted for her faith all her life, his grandmother, who had no doubt prayed for him and for this city, was used in her own faithfulness to corroborate the message of the word that this young man had been reading. That's how the gospel works. That's how fanning the flame 
happens. That's how the power of the content of the gospel in word and in deed works in the lives of people to change them for the sake of the gospel. Because friends, you cannot chain the gospel. Doesn't matter what's going on in your day. Doesn't matter the responsibilities that are going to come rushing into you as you step out those doors. It doesn't matter the weight and, and the burdens of your life. It doesn't matter the situation you're in. It wouldn't matter if you are one of those faithful believers in another part of the world who are being persecuted today as we speak, who are not allowed to gather to worship God. It wouldn't matter what your circumstance is if the gospel is going to do its work. It's because the power comes from the content of the gospel. Remember... Jesus Christ. Remember Timothy. Remember disciple maker. That it isn't your education or your resources or your special strategies or your own self-confidence. It's not your willpower that makes the gospel work. God can use who you are and use those things. And it isn't your strength that carries on the work of the kingdom to fan the flame. It is the power of the message of the gospel itself. And if you will remember that gospel, if you will remember the work of Jesus for you, the work of Jesus to bring you to the place where you can know relationship with God for eternity because He has taken the wrath you deserve from your sin and He has covered it with His own perfect sinless life. If you remember that good news and you live it in word and deed, God will use you to make disciples, which is the most beautiful and precious and important work anybody can be involved in. If you remember how that gospel lived through Jesus and given to you, talked about through Paul and through Timothy and generation after generation after generation, a faithful person before you, if you remember how that worked to get to you, then God will fan the flame in your life such that the power and the light and the heat of that gospel will set fire in somebody else. It's my prayer that, that we will be laser focused with all the distractions of our lives, with all the responsibilities, with all the things going on, that we will be focused on that to which He has called us. That in your life, in your resources, in your talents, in all the ways that God has made you and gifted you, that those will be used to preach the gospel and make disciples. Let's pray, friends.